Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Father God, as we look at John chapter 13 and we, we, we learn a little bit more about leading through the act of service, I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that we would see how it is that you serve and we see how it is that you continue to serve and we see and hear the invitation to not only receive, but to be someone who expresses leadership through service. Jesus, we invite you to do something great in the midst of this time. We pray in your name. Amen. I'm in John chapter 13. Let me get a loud amen when you're there. I want to wake everybody up this morning. Let me get a loud amen when you're there. Come on, come on. A couple more people turn there just so I can hear a couple more amens. John 13. We're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 17. All right. And so here it goes. It goes something like this. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to stop there for just a second. I'll pick it up in a minute. But in case you're not sure of the story, this kind of helped us to understand last week when we were together, John chapter 12, we talked about Jesus riding in. Um, and uh, we talked last couple weeks, we talked about that Jesus coming into the Passover festival, that he was the one who that everybody was waiting for. And then we know that was uh, that, that we, we know that was on Palm Sunday. And then we know what happened throughout the week. And, and with this story, John chapter 13 is the middle of Holy Week leading into Easter. And so um, that's the kind of when it's happening. The Passover festival, uh, just to help you understand, help me understand, kind of get it put in perspective for us. Think about your birthday. Matter of fact, do this with me. Remember, I'll know when you got to the spot. Just, just remember your favorite birthday right now. Come on, just remember your favorite. I, I'll know because your, your faces will change, right? Some of you are like, mm, mm. Some of you are scratching way, way back. It was a long time ago. Some of it was just recently, you know. Uh, some people just, Pastor Ricky just hit the big 30 this week. And so, he, you know, his favorite birthday, 30 is by, by far his favorite birthday. At 30, he had a fiance that uh, in a month will be a wife. Right, right, right. Like he, he, he's moving out and moving up, right? Like just kind of big things are happening in his life. So he's celebrating. 30 is his favorite. What was your favorite birthday? Can anybody get a memory of it? Can anybody just got a picture of it in your mind? Anybody, anybody want to share the number? I won't ask you the story. What, what number was your favorite birthday? Five? Five. Five? five. I don't even remember five. Wow. <laughs> I don't even remember five birthdays, to be honest. But, but all right, come on. Who, anybody else? Any, I thought you said two. 40, 40, 40 was your favorite? I can remember 40. That's good. 40 was your favorite. Anybody else got a favorite? 60 was your favorite. All right. What would you say? 21. 20. <laughs> With every head bowed, just point your hand in that direction while we pray. Yes. 20. 20, 21. Let's see a couple more favorites. Anybody in the back somewhere got a favorite back there anywhere? How old are you, Joel? Yeah. Wait, wait, didn't you turn 36 in Disney World? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. Right, anybody else? Anybody else? 50. Amen. That was just last week. Go ahead. Celebrate that. All right, yeah. So we look, look. <clears throat> So in, in the same way that you find the joy when you think about your birthdays, you, you remember kind of this 
favorite birthday. Birthdays are just times that we celebrate. Maybe, maybe there's other holidays in your life that you celebrate big with family and everybody gathers together. That's the kind of tradition that exists around the Passover festival, right? So this would have been the height of celebrations. Everybody gathered together, a joyous occasion. This is it. You can just imagine parties on top of parties and festival and, and, and people. And, and nowadays it'd be like, you know, uh, confetti cannons and, and all those kind of things. Like this is just all out, like the big hoopla of festivals. This is it. And so that's the, the season that we're reading right here. It said, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this road and go to the Father. <clears throat> I've, uh, I just went to see uh, uh, Avengers Endgame. If anybody wants to know how it ends, I'll tell you afterwards. But I went to see that this week, and, uh, and uh, we were watching the movie, and, and it, was, it was so cool. Like, whenever you see, like, superheroes who have, like, superpowers and, like, you know, like, all the kind of things you can do, you just kind of, like... I don't know, I, at least I do. I get really excited and I just dream of like, what would it be like to have superpowers? Well, there's one, there's one guy in, uh, in the Avengers. Uh, for those who don't know what Avengers is, it doesn't really matter. It's just comic book people. There's one guy in the comic book world that uh, has the ability to see time happen over and over and over again. His name is Doctor Strange, right? A appropriately named, right? Like, that's a strange gift. And I was thinking about, man, like, how cool would it be if I could just know, like, What's going to happen? That's so cool, right? Like, you know, you just think about, like, it, you know, is he going to make that jump shot or not? And I already know. I'm like, nope, he's not. He's not. Matter of fact, you already knew if I was shooting it, I wasn't either, right? So, so like, but, but you know, you, you kind of picture ahead, like, what's going to happen? I thought that would be really cool. I thought that would be a, a cool superpower. Well, we, we've done this before in church. We asked what, what your superpower would be if you could have one. And I remember some people said they want to be Flash. And some people said they want to fly. And some people said they want to be invisible. And, uh, you know, somebody wanted to be Hulk Smash and just be invincible, right? And so whatever your superpower would be, I was thinking a lot about Dr. Strange's power, the ability to, to see forward. Matter of fact, in the movie, he says, I've seen this ending one million, no, 14 million 605 times. How many times he saw this day play out? 14,605 times. I'm like, that's a lot. And I won't give you the rest of the story. You've got to, got to watch the movie for that. But watch this. I thought that would be a really cool power until I thought about this scripture. Scripture says that Jesus knew that the hour had come, which meant that Jesus all along knew what this ending was going to be. And I thought to myself, how would it be to live 33 years of knowing that this was the way it was going to end, that this is how it was going to go. There's a, a gentleman who graduated from, uh, from my, my alma mater who has uh, started an organization that, uh, that defends and works with people who are on death row. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, Just Mercy, and I, I encourage you, if you haven't read that book, to pick it up and, and check it out. His name is Brian Stevenson. But one of the things that he talks about is that uh, the, the, the sense of hopelessness that can overcome somebody who has their ending sentenced to them and they're just awaiting it. How do, you, how, do you, how do you press into each day when you just know that the end is coming? Well, 
you know, that, that Dr. Strange idea of wanting to know the future and then, and then reading the scripture where Jesus said, Jesus knew that the hour had come. Well, how did he know? Well, he must have known that there was an hour that was coming, and then he must have understood that all the things that were said were, were lining up to be this day. He must have been getting prepared for what he was going to have to go through. I mean, this is it. Jesus understood why he had come. He understood the purpose, but he also understood what it required of him. We're glad you're back. We missed you too. <clears throat> so it says this. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and that he would go to the Father. This tells me something else as well. <laughs> we don't say this all the time, so let me just say it as clearly as I can. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. You know how I know that? It says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this place and to go where? Go to be with the Father. The Father must have been somewhere. The Father must have been somewhere, right? Jesus understood what he was going to. Jesus understood what he would have to go through so that you and I might have a chance to go there as well. Let me say this to you. Because I know that heaven is real, it proclaims to me all the more that hell is a reality. Because I know that heaven is real, it tells me all the more that hell is also a reality. So Jesus understood what he was going to have to go through so that you and I might be able to go to the place where he is now to be with the Father. Jesus understood that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to be with the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the what? To the, come on, come on, he loved them to the what? He loved them to the end. Jesus understood what it was going to cost. He understood what would have to happen. He understood the road that would go forward. He understood the pain that would come with it. But he understood it was the only way that hell would be defeated, that heaven would be an opportunity. And he loved them all the way until the very last moment, the very final breath, breath the, 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 the satisfaction of the prophecy. He loved them all the way through from beginning to end. Now, there's a lot we're going to try to unpack here in a minute, but get this. Jesus could have aborted out at any point. He was God. He didn't. He didn't. And he didn't fall in love with them at the end. He didn't fall in love with them when it was a finished product. He didn't fall in love with them when they got to the other side. He loved them all the way through to the very end. Jesus understood love to be something we don't earn. You see that, right? He didn't start loving them when they got cleaned up. He didn't start loving them when he got cleaned up. He loved them all the way through. He didn't start loving them when everything was acting right, when everybody was, was saying the right thing, when everybody was dressed in their best. He loved them all the way through. Matter of fact, the story that's taking place right now, we're going to read it in just a second, is, is really hinges around Judas. And for everybody who's been in church for more than a minute, you understand who Judas is, right? He's the one that hung closest to Jesus and then was the first to betray him. Jesus loved them all the way to the end. I hope you get this this morning. The evening meal was in progress. I'm in verse 2 now. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas. Pause right there for a second. Get this. Judas, Judas was hanging out with Jesus. I hope you hear me. Judas 
was hanging out with Jesus. It'd be like being in church all the time. Judas was hanging out with Jesus. He was, he was, in, he was in grad school with Jesus. He was, in, he was in seminary with Jesus. He was walking with Jesus. He was being discipled by Jesus. He was being mentored by Jesus. He was being invested in by Jesus. He had spent probably three years listening to every single thing that Jesus had done. He had witnessed every miracle that we read about in Scripture. Judas was as close to in proximity to Jesus as you are to the person next to you right now. He knew what he liked. He knew what he talked like. He knew what he was going to say. But when, sometimes before Jesus finished it, he had told the same joke so many times. He was like, I know how this joke ends, right? Like, he was that close with Jesus. You understand that, right? Judas wasn't somebody who looked like he'd never been to church in his life before and never heard a church story before. Judas wore his best all the time. He knew how to act. He knew how to speak. He knew how to walk. He knew how to talk. He knew which way the Bible should be turned when it was sitting in the pew. Some of y'all come in and straighten them up for us sometimes. I thank you for doing that. Right? Like, he did all the churchy stuff because he had been a part of the church family. Now, understand, if you understand a lot about Scripture, you get it. There was no church back then. This was Jesus who was hanging out. But I'm just kind of helping us contextualize it for today. In other words, Judas was easily right here. He was right here. He was right here, and this is what the Scripture says about him. It says, after the evening meal was in progress, the devil had already prompted Judas. He had already put it in Judas's mind. He had already tempted Judas in some kind of way. You say to yourself, well, well, well how does that happen? I don't know. Have you ever been tempted before? Have you ever just for a moment thought, maybe I'll do something I'm not supposed to do? Or maybe I'll do something I'm supposed to do, but I'll do it in a time that I'm not supposed to do it. Right? So maybe it's even a good thing just at the wrong time that makes a good thing not so good. Right? Like right now, if I tell you the end of the movie, that's not so good. Y'all wouldn't be real happy with me, right? But, but yeah. Is there anybody who wants to see a movie who hasn't seen it yet, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. Cool. I won't do it. I won't do it. <clears throat> now, let me, uh, let, me get, uh, let me get the attention of all the men for a minute. Ladies, you can, you can listen in, too. But, man, I just want to speak directly to you. This is a teaching moment for us. <clears throat> what we're going to hear next in this passage is the name of somebody who you'll never hear again. You only hear it this one time in all of Scripture. And this is what he's known for. So the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, who was the son of Simon Iscariot. That's all we know about him. Simon Iscariot was dead to Judas. That's all we know about him. His lineage, his, all that he is known for, was he was father to the one who betrayed Jesus. Now, now, there's a lot of things that I hope people remember about me. You know, I hope that they remember, like, uh, you know, how well I bowl. <laughs> I hope they remember, you know, like, I was a, I was a helpful guy. I hope they remember that, that, I, that, that I, had, I had an amazing family. And I hope that, I mean, I just hope there's a, a, you know, somewhere along the lines that, that, I, that I did this pastor thing. I hope they remember a bunch of things. I hope they remember a bunch of things about me. All we know about Simon Iscariot was that he was dead to a betrayer. Men, can I just speak to you for one second? We are DNA'd in such a way that we long for leaving a legacy. We are meant to invest in so that what is behind us is a legacy. But here's the fear. We have no control over this. I have no reason to cast shade or doubt on what Simon Iscariot did. Matter of fact, I imagine, if anything, 
Simon felt really good about his son walking that closely with Jesus. But we know how Judas' story ends. Men, if nothing else from this day, this day hear this. Please, with the same level of, of, of intensity that you go after it for the Lord, go after it before the Lord for your kids. With the same level of intensity that you strive to do your best, bear yourself before God on behalf of the ones that are going to be your legacy. Please. Please. <clears throat> Ladies, that's not to leave you out, but Judas's mom is not mentioned, so I didn't, I didn't, want, to, I didn't want to try to incorporate a teaching point that wasn't there. <clears throat> so what we know is that Judas is about to betray Jesus, and Judas had a dad, and dad's dad's name is Simon Iscariot. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, i.e., Jesus knew he could intervene in this moment and stop this plan. Jesus understood the power and the authority that he had and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. That's that whole heaven thing we were just talking about. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Understand what's happening right here. The meal has just happened. That's the meal that we celebrate all the time. That's when Jesus was, was taking the bread and he was breaking it. This is my body that's broken for you. This cup is a reminder of the salvation that's offered through my blood on your behalf. And after that meal, after all that was common to them, after, after the daily practice that they were in, after the height of their festivities that they were a part of, after this grand moment, Jesus did something that nobody would have imagined him to do. In the, uh, in the days of Jesus' life, there was no grad school. I said grad school, and a couple of people snickered a little bit. There was no grad school back then. That concept didn't exist. There was no seminary back then that didn't exist. The way, you, the way you learned was you identified who you wanted to learn under, and you brought yourself to them, and you sat next to them as often as possible. That was discipleship. By the way, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Discipleship was something that was sought out by the one looking to be discipled. And the work of discipleship was following, not teaching. It wasn't the discipler that was doing the work. It was the disciple that was doing the work. They were following along, and they were observing, and they were watching, and they were listening, and they were taking notes, and they were asking questions. They weren't looking at you and saying, you teach me everything that I need to know. They were, they were looking and saying, I want to take in all of this experience so that, so that it will shape who I am, so that I can in turn go into the world and be your legacy. I can continue what you were doing. I can, I can be like you. When I was a kid, I, I watched this commercial. It inspired the rest of my life. It was a Gatorade commercial before Gatorade was well known. And they had signed this, this one like uh, uh, epic athlete that some people had just begun to hear about. His name was Michael Jordan, and, and Michael Jordan had this commercial with his first pair of Nikes, and he put his first pair of Nikes on, and he was playing basketball, and it was a little kid who was sitting there watching him, and the little kid said this. He said, I want to be like Mike. That was discipleship. I watched, and I longed to be like, and I, and I want to take this in that's what was happening here. 
Jesus was with his disciples who had been with him in the depths of all these moments. And in that day, the, the, the leader, the, the discipler, Jesus in this moment, what he would do for his people was anything. What the disciples, those who were following him, what they would do for Jesus was everything. Jesus needed a cup of water. They were going to get the cup of water. Jesus needed a kid to, 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 to bring his lunch meal up so he could bless 5,000 people. They were going out in the crowd to find the kid. They would do everything. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, like, like an apprentice kind of situation in, in days in language we might understand today. That's how the discipleship process worked. Now watch this. There was only one thing that nobody would do. It was reserved for those who were hired. The only thing that you wouldn't do was touch somebody else's feet. You just wouldn't do it. It was the lowest thing that could be asked of somebody. And so as a result, they always hired it out. They hired it out. Because, you see, these feet, they ain't have these nice brown shoes on like I got. Yeah, y'all like, yeah. Yeah, somebody told me they were brown. I like it. <clears throat> and have that. Matter of fact, just, uh, just today I saw an infomercial that I thought was really cool. It, um, they, had, they, have, they have sole covers for your shoes now. Right? So you put this, like, piece of plastic film on your shoe, and you wear your shoe. And then when it gets dirty, you take it off and put a new... Pla- and I was thinking to myself, that's cool. Your shoe would last so long. But I was like, these things are made to get dirty. Like... That's the point of it, right? It's to make sure that the dirt from the the world just doesn't infiltrate and get on my foot, right? Like, I don't need a plastic covering for that, right? Like, that's that's seemed like a crazy idea. Well, there were no shoes like that back then. And there were no paved streets, and there was nobody who was hired to go around and clean the streets. And so what basically what that means is this. You daily were going to walk in what everybody else daily created, if you understand what I'm saying. And so when I walk into somebody's house and, and I get up to somebody's house and I'm going to come have dinner at your place, they would have their hired hand come out and wash my feet so I didn't bring the world into your place. It was the only thing that you wouldn't do as a natural act of service for somebody you love. So here's Jesus who knew the hour had come. Who had just shared a meal with his disciples. Who kneels down in front of them with the wardrobe of a servant. He says, Let me serve you. Let me do for you what is below everybody. What you would never accept, ex- expect somebody in a place of lead to do. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? Implied in there, Jesus, this is below you. Don't do that. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. 
No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. There's a learning moment that's taking place right here. And, and, and we understand it through the continued revelation. See, Peter was a follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, when you read through scripture, Peter was always the first one in line. He was actually closest proximity to Jesus. Wherever Jesus was, Peter was right on the hip, except for this one time when Jesus was arrested. But the rest of the time, wherever Jesus was, Peter was right on the hip, right? And so, so Peter was right there because he loved Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, stop, Peter. You don't understand. If you don't accept what I'm going to do for you right now, it doesn't matter that you were on my hip for the last three years. Watch this, folks. I'm gonna make, about to make a transition. If you don't accept what Jesus Jesus has done for you. It doesn't matter how much you know about what he's done for you. You see, that's what Jesus was teaching to Peter in this moment. And maybe if Judas had just thought about this for a second, maybe the story would have ended different. See, Judas was just like Peter. He had been there. He saw everything that Jesus had done. He had witnessed it. He had talked about it. He had taught some people. He probably brought some people to meet Jesus. He probably he probably did some miraculous work on Jesus' behalf. I mean, Judas had been in line with Peter had been in proximity with Jesus. Judas knew the story. Judas could stand in front of you and teach. There was only one thing that was missing for Judas, and it was something that Jesus just warned Peter about. You see, Peter, if you don't let me cleanse you, it don't matter what you know. You're still lost. I wonder sometimes if we think that showing up means that we're going up. I wonder sometimes if we think that just being in proximity to Jesus is going to get me there. I wonder if sometimes we think that just being close to other Christians is going to be enough. Now, look, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. They're all the right things to be doing. Show up until you go up, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, keep coming, keep investing, keep learning. But get this, unless you walk across the bridge, unless you take that step, unless you say yes to what Jesus has done, it doesn't matter how much of it you know. It doesn't matter how many times you heard it. It doesn't matter how many T-shirts or tattoos. And it doesn't matter how clean or not you are. See, unless you actually actually say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus looks at Peter and says, unless you wash, unless you let me wash you, you'll have no part of this. You'll have no part of this. Peter knew the answers. He got it. He understood what church was about. He understood who Jesus was. He understood, he understood all of the, the Old Testament story. He understood there was a Messiah that was going to come. He believed in part that it was Jesus, but Jesus says, look, unless you let me fully cleanse you, you're still lost. So Simon Peter responds, then Lord, then don't just cleanse my feet. Wash my hands and my head and get that dark spot on my back too while you're there. I mean, Jesus answered him. He said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not everyone in this room is. Jesus knew. Well, the G- Jesus for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. How long do you think Jesus knew that? How long do you think Jesus knew that, that Judas was going to betray him? 
You mean to tell me that Jesus knew that you were going to say no and he still invited you? You mean to tell me that Jesus knew you were going to cause him great pain and he still brought you in? You mean to tell me that Jesus understood that Judas was going to sell him for the equivalent of about $30? And he still said, Judas, come close to me. Come close to me. I know it's true. Because Jesus knew how many times I trade him in too. I've never sold Jesus for $30, but I've traded him for a whole lot of things. I bet you I'm not alone in that. I bet you there was a moment or two in your life where you traded in Jesus for something else. Yeah. I'm sorry if that one hurt. It hurt when I wrote it too. When he had finished washing, his, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and said, do you understand what I've just done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also, come on, y'all, come on, y'all, I want y'all to lean in on this. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also, Let's just keep it on a symbolic sense because we don't want to have anybody taking their socks off right now. Somebody gift her some socks when you get a chance. Keep it on a symbolic sense. Watch this. Jesus went to the lowest of places to display the greatest act of service that they would understand in that moment. Why? Because he wanted to kneel before those whom he loved, even the ones who were going to hurt him, and say, I love you. I love you is not a transactional thing. It's not a, it's not a I say this to buy this. I love you is an act of display. It's, 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 it's communicating it's showing something that expects nothing in return. I love you, much like the words I forgive you, are not dependent on the response that comes to them. I can look at you, whether we're in a great place, whether I hardly know you, or whether you want to avoid eye contact. And I can say, I love you. And it does not depend on what you'll say back. Though I feel really good when you say it back. Amen? Amen. Come on now. I feel really good in those moments. And Jesus put love on display. I'm going to wrap up this morning. I want to say these four things. and just kind of invite you to write these down and take these home with you today. If you want to follow along, here are the four things that I think we see from this story, and I'll try to point to one or two more scriptures really quickly to help you see them. The first thing is that out of love for us, Jesus 
served us through the cross. Out of love for us, Jesus served us through the cross. That's the Easter story. We know that, right? There's Good Friday and there's Resurrection Sunday. And we know that this action of dying on the cross was a display of love for everyone who would be at the foot of the cross. For everyone who would not, be, yet, not yet be on the cross. Matter of fact, the scripture talks about that act of love being an act of love not just for those who would see it, but for those who came before it as well. Second thing I want to say this morning, Judas was the betrayer. Oh, we're about to get it here. I hope you're with me. Judas was the betrayer, but you and I are the crucifier. Judas was the betrayer. He sold Jesus for $30, but you and I nailed him to a cross. You and I, you and I, through the life that we live and the void that is there between us and God, nailed our Savior to a cross. So as, as easy as it is to crucify Judas for what he did to Jesus, if you don't read the story and see that you could be Judas pretty simply, if you don't read the story and see your part in Jesus' death, then you can't see your part in Jesus' resurrection either. If you don't understand that Jesus going to the cross was a result of the way that you and I are in need of God and cannot access him on our own, then you and I also can't understand the resurrection that we get invited into. So Judas was the betrayer, but we're the crucifier. Third, true love doesn't boast. It builds up through sacrificial service. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's go there really quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Come on, let me get an amen if you get there. I didn't lose you, did I? Anybody still with me? All right, 1 Corinthians 13. Amen when you get there. Come on. All right, there you go. A couple people got there. I don't think this is going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to follow along in the good old book. Here it goes, 13, first verse. And yet I will show you the most excellent of ways. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and, go, and, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I've gained nothing. Love is patient. I'm in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You see, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, I put on the ways of childhood behind me. For, we, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of all these is love. Love doesn't boast. It builds up through sacrificial service. Jesus' act of death and resurrection was sacrificial. Jesus kneeling down before the disciples was an act of love put on display through sacrifice, what he was willing to do. I dare ask you today, who are you sacrificing for? How is it that you are displaying love for someone else to see? How are you doing it in your most intimate of places and relationships? How are you doing it in the open air places? How are you communicating the love of God to the people you work with, to the people you talk to, to the people you drive with, to the people you work around, to the, to, to the people who are closest to you, and to the people who are yet furthest from you. You see, love on display is sacrificial, and I believe the scripture says that Jesus said, now that we understand, he said, you know, when he knelt before the disciples and he washed their feet, he said, now do you understand, go to and wash the feet of others. How are you displaying sacrificial love for someone else to see? The last thing I want to say this morning is clean feet walk with Jesus every day. I've learned something in life as I've gotten older and larger. Gravity is real. Gravity is real. I, I mean, honestly, honestly, I, I, I realized this. When I, when I was a bit younger, I could, I could jump a bit higher. I could jump a bit higher, right? That's, that's about what I got, right? But <laughs> recently, I, I saw some kids. I won't say whose they are. They may, some of them may have been mine. Some of them may have been, might have belonged to the worship pastor or somebody else. But I saw some kids that were playing around up here. And, uh, and then a couple of them did this. And I'm not sure who led the way. It might have been Joel's kids who led the way. But they came running in this direction. And without a care in the world, they just jumped. <laughs> just jumped. And I watched, and I thought to myself, it's fun up there. And they were up there for a while, but sooner or later, they're going to come down, right? Like, they jumped out, and you know, seeing who could jump the furthest. You know, and a couple of them just missed the last step, you know, like, just missed it. But then a couple of them were pretty far out there and maybe almost made it to the pews. If I tried to do it, I'd land on the first step right here. Like, I'd just jump as far as I could, and it'd be right here. That's about it. Because the older I got and the bigger I got, the more I realized that gravity is real. It's pulling me down right away. Now watch this, watch this. Much like gravity, in order for me to jump, I got to fight against gravity. I got to fight against the way it's going to pull me down, right? Walking with Jesus is a lot like that. You see, because everything in the world wants you to walk in the other direction. Everything in the world wants you to trade Jesus in for something. Everything in the world wants you to say it's not worth it. Everything in the world wants you to think your feet are too dirty for Jesus to wash them. Everything in the world wants you to say that you're too high to sit down low and watch somebody else's. Gravity. It pulls on you all the time. But <clears throat> I thought about it, and I thought, if I work really hard at it, if I do my very best and I get a running start, I see y'all praying right now, <laughs> and I get a running start, and I don't trip on that wire or that guitar, I think I can clear the first step. And if I work really hard at it all week long, I can clear the second and third step. And maybe, just maybe, I've worked long enough and hard enough. And I thought to myself that that would get me there. And that's when I realized 
that the love of Christ isn't equal to how hard I worked. It was already displayed freely for me to embrace. So God, when I jump, catch me because I'm about to do something that might hurt. (laughs) And if I just jump out there, if I just walk up to you and offer you without exchange, without an expected response, it's a sacrificial act of love. Jesus knelt before those whom he loved, even though he knew one of them was going to betray him. Father God, I pray this morning. God, I just pray that we would understand you say in Scripture that if we would confess that you promise that you will be faithful, you will do what's right, you'll be just, and you'll forgive us. God, every time I read this story, I'm mindful that Judas messed up. What Judas did was so wrong. And it almost overshadows for me that what you did was so right. That is until I think about the fact that I betrayed you. forgotten about you. There are moments when I haven't allowed you to be the priority that you desire to be in my life. There's moments when I haven't lived as if you were the king of my life. So God, this morning I'm reminded that it's in my mess and in response to my mess that you went to the cross, that you went to the tomb, that you descended into the depths and that you resurrected to the heights. God, that you weren't expecting me to work really hard at being able to jump far enough and fight against gravity enough on my own. I can't fight that off. It's a constant and a steady and a, and a, well, at least for all of my life, reminded that there's something pulling against me. But God, you set me free. You say that if we will confess it to you, not just be in proximity to you, not just show up enough, not get good enough, if we'll just confess that we're lost without you, that we're a mess, that sin has been a part of our life, we'll confess it with our mouth, that you'll forgive it. That you'll invite us back. You'll say, you'll desire us. And you'll give us the promise of an eternal life. So God, here this morning, I want to just give pause. Maybe there's somebody here right now that's just caught up in a life that isn't with you. And we might never know it by looking from the outside, but, but they know what's going on in their heart right now, God. Maybe there's some people who are here who have just known the story forever of, of who Jesus is. But that story hasn't radically altered their life. 
God, I, I want to give space right now. Say, if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then we'll have new life. We'll be born again. He said to Nicodemus that unless somebody is born again, that they can never enter into your eternal place. So God, this morning, I pray that every one of us would take what we know and allow it to penetrate the depths of our hearts. That we'd be moved to say, yes, God, you are real. And yes, God, you died on my behalf. And yes, God, without you, I'm lost, but through you, I have a new life. Friends, if you're here this morning and you've never allowed Jesus to be the center of your life, you've never said, God, I give up. Jesus, be my Savior, my King, my Lord. If that's yet to be a reality for you, I invite you in the stillness of where you're at surrender your life to Jesus. Simply put, just praying in the depths of your heart, God, I need you. I believe that only you can do this for me. I believe you died on a cross that I might not have to die in that way. I believe that one day resurrect our hearts, resurrect our hope, commission us to go into the world and display the love of Christ through sacrificial service. We're praying these things together in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.